That's it. That was your cue. What was my cue? That right there. You're supposed to say, Masterpiece Audio Theatre Presents. Masterpiece Audio Theatre Presents. That's right. Then you say, Myths from around the world. Myths from around the world. Okay, and a stranded in the middle of nowhere podcast. A stranded in the middle of nowhere podcast? Well, where are we? How are we going to get home? I'm going to get scared. Everything will be all right, trust me. This is a continuation from the Dog Days of Podcasting 2022. Hello and welcome to Masterpiece Audio Theater. I am your host, Menchik Majanovic. Welcome around the fire, please. Take chair, take chair, get around fire, grab blanket, you know. I think you've been here before. This is, after all, the uh, seventh part of the Christmas Carol? I believe so. Actually, men check, it's the eighth part of the Christmas Carol. We did the seventh yesterday. No, I'm pretty sure it is the seventh. I counted how many times people come and do introductions. It's my turn. I should be number seven. No, actually, men check, it is number eight. Um, we, we can prove it to you over here, but this is for the podcast. You have to come, carry on, right? Uh, say the rest of your stuff and get out of here, and then we'll talk about how it's part eight of the Christmas Carol. I do not agree with you. It is part seven, ladies and gentlemen. That is what it is. Getting on with part seven of the Christmas Carol. Please enjoy. Uh, this is my first time in the story where I play the second of the three ghosts. You've already met the first in the last episode. He was terrifying. He was super scary. Now I'm going to be even better. All right, let's get on with it. Stave three, the second of the three spirits. Awakening in the middle of a prodigiously tough snore and sitting up in bed to get his thoughts together, Scrooge had no occasion to be told that the bell was again upon the stroke of one. He felt that he was restored to consciousness in the right nick of time for the especial purpose of holding a conference with the second messenger dispatched to him through Jacob Marley's intervention. But, finding that he turned uncomfortably cold when he began to wonder which of his curtains this new spectre would draw back, he put them every one aside with his own hands and, lying down again, established a sharp lookout all around the bed, for he wished to challenge the spirit on the moment of its appearance and did not wish to be taken by surprise and made nervous. Gentlemen of the free and easy sort, who plume themselves on being acquainted with a move or two, and being usually equal to the time of day, express the wide range of their capacity for adventure by observing that they are good for anything from a pitch and toss to manslaughter. Between which opposite extremes, no doubt, there lies a tolerably wide and comprehensive range of subjects. Without venturing for Scrooge quite as hardly as this, I don't mind calling on you to believe that he was ready for a good broad field of strange appearances, and that nothing between a baby and a rhinoceros would have astonished him very much. Now, being prepared for almost anything, he was not by any means prepared for nothing, and consequently, when the bell struck one and no shape appeared, he was taken with a violent fit of trembling. Five minutes, ten minutes... A quarter of an hour went by, yet nothing came. 
All this time he lay upon his bed, the very core and centre of a blaze of ruddy light, which streamed up upon when the clock proclaimed the hour, and which, being only light, was more alarming than a dozen ghosts, as he was powerless to make out what it meant, or would be at, and was sometimes apprehensive that he might be, at that very moment, an interesting case of spontaneous combustion, without having the consolation of knowing it. At last, however, he began to think as you or I would have thought at first, for it is always the person, not the predicament, who knows what ought to have been done in it, and would questionably have done it too. At last, I say, he began to think that the source and the secret of this ghostly light might be in the adjoining room, from whence, on further tracing it, it seemed to shine. This idea, taking full possession of his mind, he got up softly and shuffled in his slippers to the door. The moment Scrooge's hand was on the lock, a strange voice called him by his name and bade him enter. He obeyed. It was in his own room. There was no doubt about that. But it had undergone a surprising transformation. The walls and ceiling were so hung with living green that it looked a perfect grove, from every part of which bright gleaming berries glistened. The crisp leaves of holly, mistletoe, and ivy reflected back the light, as if so many little mirrors had been scattered there, and such a mighty blaze went roaring up the chimney, as the dull petrifaction of the hearth had never known in Scrooge's time, or Marley's, or for many and many a winter season gone. Heaped up on the floor to form a kind of throne were turkeys, geese, game, poultry, brawn, great joints of meat, suckling pigs, long wreaths of sausage, mince pies, plum puddings, barrels of oysters, red-hot chestnuts, cherry-cheeked apples, juicy oranges, luscious pears, immense twelfth cakes, and seething bowls of punch that made the chamber dim with their delicious steam. In easy state upon this couch there sat a jolly giant, glorious to see who bore a glowing torch in a shape not unlike Plenty's horn, and held it up, high up, to shed its light on Scrooge as he came peeping round the door. Come in, exclaimed the ghost. Come in, and know me better, man. Scrooge entered timidly and hung his head before this spirit. He was not the dogged Scrooge he had been, and, though the spirit's eyes were clear and kind, he did not like to meet them. I am the ghost of Christmas present, said the spirit. Look upon me. Scrooge reverently did so. It was clothed in one simple deep green robe or mantle, bordered with white fur. This garment hung so loosely on the figure that its capacious breast was bare, as if disdaining to be warded or concealed by any artifice. Its feet, observable beneath the ample folds of the garment, were also bare and on its head it wore no other covering than a holly wreath set here and there with shining icicles. Its dark brown curls were long and free, free as its genial face, its sparkling eye, its open hand, its cheery voice, its unconstrained demeanour and its joyful air, girded round its middle with an antique scabbard, but no sword was in it, and the ancient sheath was eaten up with rust. "'You have never seen the likes of me before!' exclaimed the spirit, Never, Scrooge made answer to it. I've never walked forth with the younger members of my family, meaning for I am very young. My elder brother is born in these late years, pursued the phantom. I don't think I have, said Scrooge. I'm afraid I have not. Have you had many brothers, spirit? More than eighteen hundred, said the ghost. A tremendous family to provide for muttered Scrooge. The ghost of Christmas present rose. 
Spirit, said Scrooge submissively. Conduct me where you will. I went forth last night in compulsion, and I learnt a lesson which is working now. Tonight, if you have aught to teach me, let me profit by it. Touch my robe. Scrooge did as he was told and held it fast. Holly, mistletoe, red berries, ivy, turkeys, geese, game, poultry, brawn, meat, pigs, sausages, oysters, pies, puddings, fruit, and punch all vanished instantly. So did the room, the fire, the ruddy glow, the hour of night, and they stood in the city streets on Christmas morning, where, for the weather was severe, the people made a rough but brisk and not unpleasant kind of music, in scraping the snow from the pavements in the front of their dwellings, and from the tops of their houses, whence it was made delight to the boys to see it coming blooming down into the road below, and splitting into artificial little snowstorms. The house fronts looked black enough, and the windows blacker, contrasting with the smooth white sheets of snow upon the roofs, and with the dirtier snow upon the ground, which last deposit had been ploughed up in deep furrows by the heavy wheels of carts and wagons, furrows that crossed and recrossed each other hundreds of times, where the great streets branched off and made intricate channels hard to trace in the thick yellow mud and icy water. The sky was gloomy, and the shorter streets were choked up with a dingy mist, half-thawed, half-frozen, whose heavier particles descended in a shower of sooty atoms, as if all the chimneys in Great Britain had, by one consent, caught fire, and were blazing away to their dear heart's content. There was nothing very cheerful in the climate or the town, and yet there was an air of cheerfulness abroad in the clearest summer air and the brightest summer sun that might endeavour to diffuse in vain. For the people who were shoveling away on the housetops were jovial and full of glee, calling out to one another from the parapets, and now and then exchanging a facetious snowball, better-natured missile, far than many a wordy jest, laughing heartily if it went right, and not the less heartily if it went wrong. The poulter's shops were still half open, and the fruiters were radiant in their glory. There were great round pot-bellied baskets of chestnuts, shaped like the waistcoats of old jolly gentlemen, lolling at the doors and tumbling out onto the street in their apoletic opulence. There were ruddy, brown-faced, broad-girthed Spanish onions, shining in the fatness of their growth like Spanish friars, and winkling from their shelves in wanton slyness at the girls as they went by, and glancing demurely at the hung-up mistletoe. There were pears and apples clustered in high-blooming pyramids. There were bunches of grapes made, in the shopkeeper's benevolence, to dangle from copious hooks that people's mouths might water gratis as they passed. There were piles of filberts, mossy and brown, recalling in their fragrance ancient walks amongst the woods and pleasant shufflings ankle-deep through the withered leaves, where the Norfolk baffins, squab and swarthy, setting off the yellow of the oranges and lemons, and in the great compactness of their juicy persons, urgently entreating and beseeching to be carried home in paper bags and eaten after dinner. The very gold and silver fish set forth among these choice fruits in a bowl, though members of a dull, stagnant-blooded race appeared to know that there was something going on, and, to a fish, went gasping round and round their little world in a slow, passionless excitement. The grocers, oh, the grocers, nearly closed, with perhaps two shutters down or one, but through those gaps such glimpses there was not alone that the scales descending on the counters made a merry sound, or that the twine and the roller parted company so briskly, or the canisters were rattled up and down like juggling tricks. 
or even that the blended scents of tea and coffee were so grateful to the nose, or even that the raisins were so plentiful and rare, the almonds so extremely white, the sticks of cinnamon so long and straight, the other spices so delicious, the candied fruits so caked and spotted with molten sugar, as to make the coldest lookers-on feel faint and subsequently bilious. Nor was it that the figs were moist and pulpy, or the French plums blushed in the modest darkness from their highly decorated boxes, or that everything was good to eat in its Christmas dress. But the customers were all so hurried and so eager in the hopeful promise of the day that they tumbled up against each other at the door, crashing their wicked baskets wildly, and left their purchases upon the counter and came running back to fetch them, and committed hundreds of the like mistakes in the best humour possible, while the grocer and his people were so frank and fresh that the polished hearts with which they fastened their aprons behind might have been their own, worn outside for general inspection and for Christmas doors to peck at if they chose. But soon the steeples called the good people all to the church and chapel, and away they came, flocking through the streets in their best clothes and their greyest faces, and at the same time there emerged from scores of by-streets and lanes the nameless turnings, innumerable people carrying their dinners to the bake-shops. The sight of these poor revellers appeared to interest the spirit very much, for he stood with Scrooge beside him in the baker's doorway, and, taking off the covers as their bearers passed, sprinkled incense on their dinners from his torch. And it was a very uncommon kind of torch, for once or twice, when there were angry words between some diner carriers who had jostled each other, he shed a few drops of water on them from it, and their good humour was restored directly. For they said it was a shame to quarrel upon Christmas Day, and so it was, God love it, so it was. In time the bells ceased, and the bakers were shut up, and yet there was a genial shadowing forth of all these dinners, and the progress of their cooking, in the thawed blotch of wet above each baker's oven, where the pavement smoked as if its stones were cooking too. Is there a particular flavour in what you sprinkle from your torch? asked Scrooge. There is my own. Would it apply to any kind of dinner on this day? asked Scrooge. To any kindly given, to a poor one most. Why to a poor one most? asked Scrooge. Because it needs it most. Spirit, said Scrooge after a moment's thought. I wonder you, of all the beings in the many worlds about us, should desire to cramp these people's opportunities of innocent enjoyment. Aye, cried the spirit. You would deprive them of their means of dining every seventh day, often on the only day which they can be said to dine at all, said Scrooge. Wouldn't you? Aye, cried the spirit. You seek to close these places on the seventh day, said Scrooge. And it comes to the same thing. I seek, uh, exclaimed the spirit. Forgive me if I am wrong. It has been done in your name, or at least in that of your family, said Scrooge. There are some upon this earth of yours, returned the spirit, who lay claim to know us, and who do their deeds of passion, pride, ill will, hatred, envy, bigotry, and selfishness in our name, who are these strange to us, and all our kith and kin, as if they had never lived. Remember that, and charge their doings on themselves, not us. Scrooge promised that he would, and they went on, invisible, as they had been before, into the suburbs of the town. <laughs> You 
have been listening to Empath Studios' presentation of the Myths from Around the World, a special Dog Days of Podcasting contribution. Sound clips are from GarageBand and can be found in their samples library. The stories that we have shared can be found at gutenberg.org. We can be found on Facebook on the Masterpiece Audio Theatre page, on nimlas.org, or you can email us at j at jglangjans.com. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 unported license. Thanks for joining us.